prayer. Prayer. Ladies and gentlemen, we are continuing in our sermon series on prayer. And today we're going to be touching on the next portion of what we can learn about. So we know two weeks ago, whenever we first started learning in this series, oh wait, let me pause you real quick. Pause, pause, pause. You guys ready for this? Probably just before the kids went over. But it's okay because the kids are going to be over there for the same amount of time. But we're going to have a slightly shorter service than usual today so that we can have a bit of a conversation afterwards about something big that is possibly happening in the church's life, okay? Uh, and so it'll be something good for all of us to hear about, talk about, learn about, and pray about. And so the sermon's going to be a little bit abrupt today. Make sense? All right. Thank you. Back in. Prayer. Welcome. We're learning today about prayer, and we're going to be continuing to learn in this series. We know two weeks ago, whenever we were learning about prayer, we, we learned about the fact that whilst there are certain reasons why we as people pray, we may pray to uh, receive something from the Lord, whether that is something like wisdom or something like spiritual growth. Uh, it could also be a thing, Lord, may I have what I need to survive, right? We've learned these things. Uh, or we could also be praying to become more like Jesus, to uh, be transformed by him in prayer. These are two things that are possible. They're not the underlying reason behind the concept of prayer because Jesus himself prayed and didn't need either of those things, right? And then we learned last week that whenever we pray, we're to be recognizing our relationship with the one we're praying to. We're to be recognizing who he is. And we're supposed to be mindful of the fact that we should be remembering just who God is and what he's done, right? And then also that his primary purpose is to glorify his own name, right? And last week we touched on the first thing that whenever we read through the Lord's Prayer, the first actual thing that we see Jesus telling people to request of his people, of, his, of their Lord, whenever they pray. So Jesus explained to his people what things they should be requesting when they pray. And notably, whenever we read through the Lord's Prayer, there are three things that he requests at first, and there are three things that he requests afterwards. The first three deal all with who God is and what he is doing. And doesn't even touch on the sort of things that we normally pray about, this is what I want or need, or this is who I want to be, until after those first three acknowledgments. The first acknowledgment, the first prayer, the first request the petition that is poured out in that prayer that we learned last week was, may your name be made great. May you be glorified. Right? As we pray and as we're considering how we should be praying, the first thing we should be remembering is, may you be made great. And then today we get to hear about his next two petitions that he calls for his people to pray. And here is this. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or make your name great, right? And then, may your kingdom come, and may your will be done. I want you to stop and consider this. Whenever we pray, how often is at least half of our prayer wholly directed on who Jesus is and what he is doing, as opposed to what we want, need, desire, or attain to, Right? How often whenever we pray is Jesus the focus and how often whenever we pray are we the focus? Now it is not wrong whenever you pray to ask for things about yourself. Jesus, whenever we get this next section, Jesus will tell people how to pray for the things they need. 
Jesus also, whenever he taught, taught a whole bunch of stuff about how we're supposed to be going to God in prayer. And one of them talks about this concept of this prayer of a persistent widow. There's a lady, he tells this parable, there's this lady who's having issues with a judge or people who have been unjust towards her, and there's a judge who's not listening to her, not hearing her petition or her request. And she wants to see justice done. And so she goes and she appeals to this judge, may justice be done, he just ignores her. Then she does it again, he ignores her. And then she starts annoying the crap out of him. (laughs) Do it, do it. You know you should, you know you want to, do it. Come on, please do this thing, do your thing. Come on, do it. And the judge eventually says, fine. Not because I care about justice, but so that you'll be quiet. I'll grant your request, right? Jesus says it's okay to be earnest in your prayer and to be honestly a little annoying towards God in your prayers at times, right? He doesn't mind if you ask for things for yourself. Though there's a caveat to that. You need to recognize that it's not your will that's going to matter. And if you're praying for something that you want but that God doesn't want, do you think you're going to get it? No. No, and you shouldn't. Because we know God is good, right? (laughs) And he grants every good thing to his people. But he withholds everything that will harm Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's start with that first one, your kingdom come. Whenever we consider this concept, sometimes we forget the fact that the coming of the kingdom of God, especially in the book of Matthew, is the point of the gospel. Whenever Jesus is explaining what his gospel is, his gospel is this, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is coming. And whenever we consider that concept, we begin to realize that there is something big happening. Think about the concepts of kingdoms. We don't really deal with them very much nowadays in our culture, right? Because we don't have really kingdoms or fiefdoms or rules. But a kingdom tends to have what? At its head. A king. Someone with absolute authority. Absolute rule. Whose word is law and whose proclamation is what matters, right? To pray for God's kingdom to come is to pray for God to be king, to be Lord. If you, as you are praying for your requests, start out with this concept, Lord, may you reign, may you be king, it immediately starts to humble us. Remember how we discussed that sometimes people will pray for things that we know are against God's will? Sometimes I'll ask for something that no matter how many times I ask, I understand that I'm asking for something he's not going to give. If we start out with, Lord, may you reign, those sort of things tend to float away. How do you ask for a king to reign while simultaneously saying, please let it be okay that I'm breaking your rules or ignoring your laws? Father in heaven, may your name be made great. May you rule. May you reign in this world. Uh, Michael J. Wilkins says this, Christians are called to pray and work for the continual advance of God's kingdom on earth, both in the world itself and also within ourselves. You should be praying for Christ's kingdom to advance in you and for you to be an ambassador of his kingdom as well. 
this is one of the first things that we're called to pray for as his people. And I'm assuming this is one of the things we're supposed to be begging or petitioning God to do, that it's also probably something that should be forefront or at the front of our hearts and our lives and our minds, right? If our first prayer request to God is, God, may you reign and may your kingdom come, what do you think our responsibility as citizens of that kingdom is to be as we move forward? We are called to, with God, advance his kingdom wherever we can. Recognizing that it's not us that will be doing any of the work that matters, we don't actually matter that much, but this is still called to be the focus of our lives. It removes or strips away some of this me nonsense that we get stuck in as people, and it points us or directs us to who he is and what he's doing, right? Your kingdom come. And then the next. Oh, wait. Your kingdom come. Know this. When Jesus is teaching about the end of times, and he's proclaiming all of the hardship and difficulty that Christians are going to go through, he's declaring the way in which the followers of Christ will have to deal with the persecution of the world around them, and the way they'll have to see the wrath of God coming across the face of the world, and the difficulty and the pain and the torment that it's going to be like. Right in the middle of it, shoved in that verse where he's talking about in the book of Matthew, he tosses this out. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. In the midst of persecution, hardship, famine, destruction, pain, God says that through that and during it, the kingdom itself will be proclaimed to the entire world. The authority and goodness and holiness and reigning of God will occur because of this hardship that goes through. And that it will be literally spoken or proclaimed throughout all of the world. And that won't, the end of the world that we oftentimes as people uh, in America freak out about, won't happen until that happens. See, even the end times are a driver to push us to move Christ's kingdom forward as we can. Right? And it's not going to be us that does the work. It's going to be God. And we recognize his power and his goodness and his glory. And therefore, we regularly petition him to bring it about. Who here would dare defy a king to his face after proclaiming and inaugurating that king? If you are saying, your kingdom come, you reign outflow of that want is going to be your want to submit to him as well. Right? The next part actually pops up with that too. Your will be done. Whenever we read about this concept of God's will, your will, I cannot pronounce the word right because I don't speak Greek, but thelemos I think it is. Right? Whenever we talk about this concept in scripture, this word whenever it's pitched through, almost every time it talks about God's good perfect, knowable will on earth. But we can know based on what he's said and what he's done. What we can know because of his nature and who he is. But the obvious push for who he is and what he's doing. His good will, his good desire, his good purpose. Right? It's not meant to be listed as a mysterious thing that is unknowable to us. 
whenever we read through it, the only times that it actually touches on this kind of will within people is whenever we actually submit ourselves to his will and grow in knowledge and understanding of him and therefore work to do his will. It's twice, I think. Once in the book of Corinthians and once in the book of, I don't know, Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, I think. Anywho, every other time it's God's good, perfect, pleasing, holy will. We're proclaiming God. We want what you have proclaimed will happen to happen. We want your good to happen and not what we think would be best. There are a couple of faucets to this. One being this. We as followers of Christ are called to know our Lord well enough that we can begin to learn of his will. Maybe not every individual little faucet of it, right? I may not understand perfectly Uh, what God is calling for someone in the middle of Nigeria to be doing with their lives right now. But I can understand well enough that it's not God's will for me to, I don't know, have an affair. (laughs) I don't need to pray and petition God for that knowledge. I understand his will on it, right? I don't need to petition God for whether or not I should be stealing from the people around me. I understand who he is and what he's done well enough that I can follow his will. Praying your will be done first is actually praying, Lord, allow me to do what I know you want me to do. Allow me to be the man I know you want me to be. First it is that. It's submit myself to you again. May you reign and may I be who you have called me to be as your subject. But there is more to it than that too. It is a general recognition that if it is his will that's to be done and not our own, that his will is better than ours and overrides ours. And therefore, what we want matters even less. I don't matter. (laughs) This is not one of those happy-go-lucky sermons, by the way, in case you're wondering, right? Yeah. No, you're a butterfly. You're beautiful. Everything. No. I, as an individual, basically don't matter in the grand scheme of things. Jesus' will will be done regardless of whether he chooses to unmake me at this moment now. If he wanted to, he could, guys. He could literally say, I've decided I don't want Chris Dewar to exist anymore, and I would stop existing. I don't want any of you guys to remember it, and Burt Reynolds is the new pastor of this church. And you would just be standing here and all of a sudden be Burt Reynolds. But you wouldn't even know it because God's that cool. I know it's a stupid thing to say. I'm sorry. I'm just rambling right now. I exist by his will for his pleasure, for his purpose. I don't matter because I'm a special butterfly or anything of that nature. He is the one that matters. This means that my wants, needs, and desires as a person don't matter as much as his will for my life. And so if it is his will for me to, uh, whatever, guys, to live in poverty, to move to France, to live in Portland, to be a pastor or an auto mechanic or a counselor or a McDonald's worker. Whatever he wills matters, not what I want. I may want a Lamborghini Diablo. Is that even a real thing? I think so, right? Yeah. I may want one of those super bad guys, but that doesn't matter what I want. (laughs) What matters is what he wants for me. And he wants me not to die in a fiery car wreck, at the moment at least, for all I know. Okay. My will doesn't matter as much as his. 
You want to see ways when this, this plays out in Scripture? Here's the first and most obvious one. Jesus, holy God, holy man, 100% God, 100% man. Two wills, a will of God and a will of man, exist within him. He is perfect human and he is perfectly God. And whenever he is approaching the time of his death, he says this, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Two things I want to talk to you about this real quick. One is this. Oftentimes we think of this as a sign of weakness, right? We look at this and we say, oh, Jesus, man, he was sitting there and then he got all freaked out. He got scared, worried, pouring out his life to God, saying, don't make me do this. Please don't make me do this. This is how we tend to read this sometimes, right? Check that out. Nowhere in there does Jesus say, God, I want you to make me not go on the cross. He does say in Luke, I'm sorry, Matthew, let this cup pass from my lips if it's your will. But in the entire time, whose will is he looking at? The Father's, right? Also worth noting, that first time he says willing up there, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Not the same word as if it's your will. The word that he's using there is actually a word for, hey, if you wish it, if you desire it, if you'd prefer it. But not my will, yours. Your will. Jesus submitted himself completely to the will of the Father. Perfectly. Holy. And that means even though he knew he was destined to be crucified and to die and to rise again, because he actually prophesied about it before this time for his disciples. He said, hey, just so you know, the Son of Man is going to have this happen to him. (laughs) I will be crucified, I will die, and in three days I will rise again. His disciples were all like, no, what, never. That makes no sense. What are you talking about? I don't understand. He knows it's going to happen. But even though he knows it's going to happen, he still completely submits himself to God's will. If it is your will for something else to happen, do that instead. But not my will, yours. In Christ, we see perfect submission to God the Father. Perfect and absolute understanding of God's sovereignty, of his reign, of his authority. Perfect understanding of the fact that it is not what we wish to have happen but God's will that matters. I want to throw this out here, guys. Anytime I pray now, my prayer ends like that. If I'm praying for a thing especially, Lord, I want, I don't know, a car that's not going to break every four miles. I used to have one of those. I don't anymore. Whenever I did, Lord, please let me get to my next place before this car falls apart, was something I would pray but not my will, yours. Lord, keep my kids safe. Protect them from all of the dangers and uh, sinfulness and brokenness of this world. Keep them safe and keep them separated from it. But Lord, not my will, yours. When prayed about things that you care about, that is a very scary prayer. 
because you are recognizing that the things that matter most to you in your life, you have no control over. And that God has right to do with what he wills. That scares me. But it's the proper attitude for us to have, right? I must decrease, you must increase. I must matter less, you must matter more. Few of us would hope for martyrdom for ourselves, right? Few of us would pray for, beg for, Lord, please allow me to die uh, in a painful, grotesque manner so that you uh, might be glorified a little bit more. It's what I really want, right? I doubt most healthy people would seek that outcome. But we're called to recognize that there's a possibility that we may be called to it someday. And we should be ready and willing to walk into it and say, Lord, not my will, yours. You ever want to see examples of people faithful in that respect? Go through and read something like Fox's Book of Martyrs or some of the old stories of people who did become martyrs to the faith. Heck, read the account of Stephen in the book of Acts, who, when facing death at the hands of the Pharisees, and who could have gotten away with it if only he would have said, no, Jesus guy, psych, never mind. He's, he's all right, but you know, you guys are cooler. Could have stepped away from martyrdom. Instead, proclaimed the gospel throughout the history of Israel how it led up to who Jesus is. And then, as he was being killed, responded in exactly the same manner Jesus did on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Our will must decrease, his must increase, right? In our own lives. What does this look like? In John 5, 1 John 5, 14 through 15, we can read this. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Oftentimes we read that verse or read verses like it and we gloss over that first part really quick, right? And we say, and we know that if he hears us whenever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked from him. So whatever we ask, we have from him. Yeah, that was what I just do. I just closed out somehow. Oh, darn it. Sorry, one quick second. That if we ask anything, he hears us. And we skip that according to his will part a little bit, right? And that we know that if he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we'll ask of him. Say, he hears anything, guys, and anything we ask, he hears, and he'll give us whatever we want, right? If you just ask with enough faith, you'll get it. If you just say the right words in the right way, you'll get it. You guys ever heard someone teach preaching, teach prayer in this manner? If you ask in the right way, in the right manner, enough times with enough faith, you'll get what you want. 
And oh man, if you didn't ask right, that's why you didn't get it. Something was missing in you. You didn't have enough faith or else you would have gotten that thing you wanted. Heck, I'm a really big fan of a denomination called the Christian Missionary Alliance. I love it to death. I enjoy this denomination, right? Uh, But they were an offshoot of Pentecostalism that shot off because the founder of it went too far on this topic. And he argued basically that if anyone was sick, they could have full healing in Jesus. And if they believed enough and had enough faith in Jesus, they would be wholly and fully healed from anything because in Jesus there is the right for full healing to happen, right? And we do believe that, yes, Jesus can and does heal people, right? And we do believe that he has the power and authority to do it if he wants to. He certainly can. He can do whatever he wants, right? And we certainly believe that we are called to pray for those who are sick and pray for those who are in need and pray for those who are in distress. We wholly believe that too, right? And we wholly believe that miracles do happen sometimes. That Jesus does at times miraculously heal people from things that should have not been healed or spontaneously removed. This is different from I believe that sometimes you have a cold and if I pray for your healing, three to five days from now, Jesus miraculously healed you. This is, oh, I'm sorry, you broke two legs three seconds ago? Stand up and walk. And they're up and walking. We believe that can occur, right? What we do not believe, though, is that God is a genie, and if we ask things perfectly and rightly, he'll do whatever we want. It is wholly possible that God may not want to heal. There's a point in the book of Galatians, I believe it is, where Paul is actually talking about the fact that it's not Galatians, it's a completely different book. I don't remember what book it is right now, but there's a point whenever Paul says this. Three times I asked God to remove a thorn from my side. And that phrase, a thorn from my side, sometimes we over-spiritualize it and say, we don't know what it was, but it might have been like he was just having really bad days or his spirit was hurt or whatnot. No, or maybe it was a sin that he was trying to figure out how to get past. But the thorn in the side was a term for an ailment or ailment or something that was physically wrong with you, right? Three times I prayed to God to remove this ailment from me, and his response was, my grace is sufficient for you. Fun little story. If you look through a bunch of other books, likely thing that was happening, Paul was probably going blind. He was losing his sight over time. Really fun, considering that the first thing Jesus did whenever he met him was struck him blind. And the scales fell off from his lives later. But then as he went on and on in his ministry, he began to lose his sight, very likely. Two reasons why I believe this. At one point, he's writing, and he said... Uh, he, he has scribes who wrote all of his letters for him, but one of the times at the very end, he's like, I, Paul, write my name in, this, in my own hand. Look at how big of letters I wrote it in. <laughs> like, no, I super was me, guys. You can tell who else would write like this. Another one was because whenever he was actually talking about one of the churches that loved him and he was proclaiming the way in which they loved him, he said, I know just how much you love me. And if you would, I know that you would give me everything, even your very eyes, if you could. Interesting. Paul was likely going blind. And he prayed for God to remove it. And God said, no. My grace is sufficient. He prayed for God to answer his prayer, and God certainly answered it. He just didn't answer in the way he wanted him to. God's will matters and not ours. All of this that we've hit through is how we look at prayer before we even get to asking for things for ourselves. 
this is the foundation. We remember who we're speaking to. We recognize the fact that our prayer is an act of worship to our Lord. It's a way to demonstrate our love and affection to him, a way to proclaim to him that we care and that we enjoy basking in his presence, right? But it's also a way for us to center and write our lives. We can say, Lord, not our will but yours. We can say, Lord, not my kingdom but yours. We can say, Lord, not my name great but yours. And we can proclaim just how good and holy he is, even in the way that we just pray to him. What does this matter in your life? We're working on praying more as a church, right? We're working as praying more as individuals as we're moving forward in this as well. So over the past couple weeks, I've asked for you each week to be spending about 10 minutes in prayer, more than you normally would, right? Just a time that is you and God. First question, who here has actually done that? Oh. What is holding you back from talking to your creator? What is keeping you from reaching out to him and proclaiming to him how good he is? Guys, 10 minutes throughout the course of a week is not very much, is it? Yeah, it's not very much. One-sixth of an hour. Multiply that by 24. It's a very small number. Divide by 24? I can't even do math right now. Ignore me. Like, no, Chris, you're getting bigger. Sorry. It's not a lot of time. Guys, if you're wondering whether you're going to grow in your prayer life, my answer is this. If you're not willing to put any time into praying, no, of course not. But then I want to ask you this. How effective do you think you'll be in being the people Christ has called you to be if you're not regularly devoting yourself to him. Do you want to see great things happen for the kingdom? Yes or no? Yeah. Do you want to see Christ glorified on earth? Yes or no? Thank you. Please respond, guys. These are good questions to say yes to. Or no, if you're that way, it's cool. All right, we can talk. If you believe no is the answer to these, that's fine. All right? Do you want to see his kingdom come? Thank you. I appreciate your enthusiasm. You want to see his well done, yeah? Yeah? Yeah. If those are the sort of things Jesus taught us to pray about, what do you think you should be doing? If those are the things that Jesus has authority over and power over and the ability to do, and I'm going to be honest, guys, you might be able to do a little bit to glorify your Lord through his power and his will, but he can do a heck of a lot more than you can, right? Pray to him. This sermon series will extend on indefinitely until we become a church of prayer. (laughs) Because if we're not a church of prayer, we're not a church. Does that make sense? takeaways. One, pray this week. Spend 10 minutes. Pour out your time to your Father. Worship Him in prayer. It's 10 minutes. Everyone take a second. Put it on your calendar somewhere. Find a spot. I'll wait. Y'all are not doing it.
Come on, guys. Take a time and pray. <laughs> you guys want a good one? You want a good 10 minutes of prayer? 15 minutes of prayer? You want to know a great place you could schedule that? How about 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday? Whenever we have our prayer meeting for the church. And we meet for 10 to 15 minutes to pray. It's a good time. Also the shower. It also works. Yeah. It's actually one of the main places I pray. Yeah. Show up, pray with us. 10 o'clock in the morning. lead pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle, sorry, uh, wrote a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. I forget the gentleman's name. I don't know why it's escaping me right now, but he was discussing and writing about prayer, and he said something that always struck me at this. He said, you can tell how faithful to bring about the kingdom a church is, not by how well attended their Sunday morning worship services are, but by how well attended their prayer meetings are church that prays well is a church that is truly seeking the kingdom of God. And guys, I want to be a church that prays well. So here's what we're going to do now. We're going to spend a few moments in silent prayer. We're going to take communion together. And then we're going to spend some time worshiping him. And then following that, we're going to have a few minutes another announcement, okay? It'll end up being a prayer request, guys. Hopefully, I'll have some time scheduled to be praying about it this week. Okay. Let's pray. great and may you make it greater Lord you reign may you reign more and more Father we pray that you would allow your kingdom to inject even further into this world Lord may its boundaries increase Lord may its may its subjects submit themselves more and more to you and Lord may we see your kingdom increase in our own hearts our own lives Father, we pray for your will to be done. 
that which we know and that which we don't know. I pray for you to allow us to submit ourselves to your will every day. May we pour ourselves out to you. May we be who you have called for us to be. And Lord God, may you direct us and guide us in your will. We don't want to take steps that are not of you. We want to do what you have called for us to do. And so, Lord, we pray for you to reveal your will and to ensure that it is done. Allow nothing to come between your will happening, to come before your will happening. Lord, if we are a barrier to your will, please remove us. If we are fighting against what you are doing, Lord, make us stop. Father, we want to see you glorified in this world. Lord, may you reign. Lord, I praise you that in your will, you have made it possible for us to have relationship with you. I praise you that it was your will for Christ to come and die for us, to offer himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. I praise you for the fact that you saw fit to allow him to jumpstart this kingdom. you for the fact that you have offered us relationship with you through it and that we can approach you as father we can approach you as one beloved and we can know that you are good Lord as we move throughout this week may we glorify you may you draw us to you in prayer that we may praise and worship you may you draw us to submit ourselves to you because we know that you matter we don't. Lord, may you increase and may we decrease. Lord, for your glory, for your kingdom, for your name's sake. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.